Welcome to the Holy Bible Study for Genesis chapter 34. This week is going to be a great study for parents. So anyone who is a parent is going to want to take notes. Because we're going to see how one of the godliest men in history, Jacob, made some bad parenting decisions. And that led to his daughter Dina making some bad decisions. And ultimately... That led to two of his sons, Simeon and Levi, making even worse decisions, which would come back to haunt Jacob, Israel. So, I hope you all will enjoy this as always. Share it if you do. Let's just jump right into it. God bless you all. Godspeed. Verse 1, And Dina, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. Now see, even his daughter here is going to have a problem because she isn't following God's commands. We're going to find later on in the Old Testament when Moses actually lays out the laws on paper that God says, don't mingle with those who surround the land of Israel. Don't mingle with the Canaanites or the Amorites um, or the Amalekites, etc., etc. People who worship false gods. Because they are going to deceive you and lead you to do things that I hate. Things that are an abomination to me. And so the daughters of the land of Shechem at that time were Canaanites. And if you'd heard my past studies, and we'll talk about it in the future, the Canaanites were a godless people. They did godless things. They basically broke all of the things that God told his Israelite children not to do, the Canaanites did. So basically today they would be rapists, they would be murderers, um, they were burying their children in the sand as sacrifices to their gods. Um, they were living a lot like the Muslims of today, and I believe the Muslims did descend from the original Canaanites, and they picked up a lot of their godless customs, such as, you know, these men can slit their daughter's throat on their front porch if they disagree with who their daughters date. Speaking of Muslim women aren't allowed to date Christian men or Jewish men, and so what's called an honor killing, the fathers can basically slay their daughters on their front porch and get away with it according to Sharia law, which is not God's law. So the Canaanites were a very filthy, depraved, abominable people. And unfortunately, Dina was curious when she saw how these daughters of the land dressed differently than she did and acted differently than she did, and that men of the, men of the land were paying a different kind of attention to those Canaanite women than they were to Dina and her family. So, of course, at her young age, um, you know, peer pressure, whatnot, she wanted to emulate and be like those other daughters of the land around her family. And so she, I guess you could say, fell in with a bad crowd like most teenagers do. But we're going to find that in doing that and in disobeying God by mingling with 
the daughters of the foreigners, she's going to find herself in some trouble. And then the trouble she brings upon herself, she's also going to bring upon some more members of her family. So just like today, when you sin, it doesn't always just affect you. When things go wrong in your life, it can affect those around you and usually those closest to you. So that's a good lesson for us to learn all the way back from first book of the Holy Bible, which is still true up until this very day. All right, verse 2, And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her, and lay with her, and defiled her. First thing you want to notice, Shechem is also the name of a man, and it's also the name of the city. So I don't want you to get confused here. When you hear the name Shechem pronounced both for the city and the man, they both have the same name. It's possible that the city was named after this man because um, his family seemed to have a lot of influence in the land we're going to find. And they seemed to be leaders in the land. So it's possible that the name of the city was named after his family. Now, what happened here was... He was attracted to her. He saw her. I'm sure she was scantily clad because she saw how the women of the land she was mingling with were dressing. So she, I'm sure, put herself out there, which is why I tell Christian parents all the time, if you let your daughters use social media, if you let them use Instagram, you better be keeping an eye on what they're posting. I mean, I know there's privacy and all this and that, but in today's day and age, you got a lot of girls on Instagram putting little Bible verses and crosses in their profiles, but then you go down the line and every single picture looks like they're on the cover of Playboy or Hustler. You know, they're just, they're showing, you know, basically their whole entire body in bikinis and everything else, um, you know, not leaving much to the imagination. And these are so-called Christian girls, so... Um, you definitely need to keep an eye on your girls and your children and what they're doing. Just like Jacob made the mistake of not doing with Dina. He didn't keep an eye on her, and she got into trouble. And now she's going to bring trouble upon his family because of it. So families, watch over your daughters. Your sons as well, but especially your daughters. So Shechem saw her looking good, and what did he do? Probably did what he did with the women of his land anyway. He took her, and he raped her. Now, the text says he lay with her and defiled her, but basically the defiled in the original Hebrew language there would infer that he raped her. He forcibly laid with her. And his soul clave unto Dina, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel, and he spake kindly unto the damsel. So Shechem, after he laid with her, he got a little crush on her, and so he didn't want to just rape her and lay with her, he wanted to marry her. So this is a odd dude, if there was one. And Shechem spake unto his father, Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. So again, I believe his family had influence. So he went to his father and said, Hey, go to these Israelites, go to this guy Jacob, and tell him I want his daughter and we'll give him anything for his daughter. Because his dad had pull. All right, and Jacob heard that he had defiled Dina, his daughter. So now Jacob somehow through the grapevine, whether through shepherds or anyone else, um, his workmen, had heard that his daughter was raped by this guy Shechem. 
Now, Jacob at first is going to hide it from his sons because he knows that his sons, you know, will not be happy about it at all and will go after the guy and will make trouble for Jacob in the land. But we're going to find that they're going to hear anyway through the grapevine. So I don't know why Jacob thought, you know, that he would find out through his workmen and that his son somehow wouldn't find out. But so Jacob's idea of hiding it from his sons isn't going to happen. They're going to find out anyway, like we're going to read here in a second. All right. Now his sons were with his cattle in the field and Jacob held his peace until they were come. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved, and they were very wroth. See, so they heard it, that Dina was raped. It doesn't say who they heard it from, but they heard it. And wroth means angry. They were very angry, because he had wrought folly in Israel and lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done now here is the first time in the Holy Bible where we hear something described of as happening in Israel. Now, while there won't be in Israel until later on in the Old Testament, an actual place called Israel, um, the name Israel obviously stems from Jacob, Israel, because his name was changed to Israel. So all of his descendants who will later on inherit that promised land named the land after their forefather, Israel, Jacob. So here when it says wrought folly in Israel, it means they wrought folly in the family of Jacob because there wasn't an Israel as a land per se as of yet. Okay, and Hamor communed with them, saying... The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray you give her him to wife, and make you marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you. And you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you, dwell and trade you therein, and get you possessions therein. So in order to get Jacob to agree to giving his raped daughter to this guy who did the raping. Basically, Shechem's dad is trying to make it sound like we will give you everything we have. If you will share everything you have with us, you know, our daughters, we see your young men, look at them and you're interested in them. So, if you will do this one thing for my son, I'll give my daughters to your sons. And um, if your daughters want my sons, they can have them. And all our cattle will share it with you. Our land will share it with you. Um, there'll be no division between us. There'll be no hostility between us. It'll be one big happy family. We'll all mingle, co-mingle together. And so he's trying to paint um, a real nice picture of how things could be if Jacob would just do this one thing, just give his daughter unto his son, even though his son had raped her. And Shechem said unto her father, Jacob, and unto her brethren, uh, meaning Dina's brothers, Jacob's sons, let me find grace in your eyes, 
and what you shall say unto me I will give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I will give according as you shall say unto me. But give me the damsel to wife. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father deceitfully, and said, Because he had defiled Dina their sister. Now before I say what they said, it's it's um, imperative to point out here that the apples really didn't fall far from the tree when it came to Jacob. Because even though he was a great man of God, historic man of God, we all love Jacob, we all love Israel. Um, we find he had his faults, like every man of God did. Um, every man of God and woman of God today has their faults. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And one of Jacob's main problems was was when he went about trying to get things he desired, he did so in a deceitful way. We saw it with Esau twice. And now we find that his sons are the same way, is they know they're not going to do something, but they're going to deceive these men to believe they're going to, when in the back of their minds they have bad intentions towards these men and cruel intentions towards these men. So we're going to find that they're going to do something bad, which we all can recognize and we can all agree to. Regardless of their intentions were good and they wanted to defend their sister, what they're going to do was absolutely wrong. And just like Jacob was punished for his deceitfulness in the past, these two are going to be punished for what they're going to do, which is far worse than anything their father Jacob did. So let's jump into what they said here. They said unto them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised. For that were a reproach unto us, but in this will we consent unto you, if you will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised. Then will we give our daughters unto you, and we will take your daughters unto us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then will we take our daughter, and we will be gone. And these words please Tamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. So basically, what Simeon and Levi and Jacob's sons are saying are, okay, we'll agree to it. You can have Dina, but on one condition. Every single one of your men, from the youngest to the oldest in your entire city, has to become like us. They have to circumcise themselves. And obviously, to anyone who knows the Bible, you know what that is. To those of you who don't know your Bible very well, that's a snip-snip. That's where a man takes his penis and cut off the foreskin. And now, that's meant to be done to a baby. And I believe it's somewhere in, in within eight, eight days after I believe the baby's born. I could be wrong. But that's when the age is perfect. The body's just right. And um, it won't be as sore for as long when it's that young. But if you wait to get circumcised until you're older, especially, you got to imagine, the really old men of this place of Shechem, how painful it would have been. I mean, if, if you got to ask men, if we're even nicked or hit in that area of our body the wrong way, it can lay us up really quick. 
Now imagine having someone cut that, a grown man cutting it by choice. It's it's unthinkable. I I don't know how anyone could do it in this day and age, but this whole city of men is going to be talked into doing it because of the allure of the daughters of Jacob and the sons of Jacob. They're going to want to mingle together and become one people because we're going to find also that this Hamor and Shechem also have cruel intentions. They also have bad intentions because they are thinking that once they're one people, they're going to be dominant because there is more of them than there are of children of Jacob over Jacob's family. And eventually Jacob's family will become their servants. And they're going to take their cattle and their gold and their silver and their women. So even though the circumcision is going to be painful, they're thinking in the long term, what will we gain out of this for this temporary pain? So we're going to find that they are going to agree to it. Now let's jump right back into the text here. And the young man deferred not to do the thing because he had delight in Jacob's daughter. And he was more honorable than all the house of his father. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came unto the gate of their city and communed with the men of their city, saying, These men are peaceable with us, therefore let them dwell in the land and trade therein. For the land, behold, it is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us for wives, and let us give them our daughters." Only herein will the men consent unto us for to dwell with us, to be one people, if every male among us be circumcised, as they are circumcised. Shall not their cattle and their substance and every beast of theirs be ours? See? So their main intention in the long run is to take what is of the smaller family, which would be Jacob's family. Only let us consent unto them, and they will dwell with us. And unto Hamor and unto Shechem, his son hearkened all that went out of the gate of the city. And every male was circumcised, all that went out of the gate of his city. And it came to pass on the third day when they were sore. Get it now. So three days later they're sore, but these guys are going to be sore probably for a month. When you are, again, advanced in age, you don't cut that part of your body. You just don't do it. So these men are going to be laid up and weak and sore for a while. But three days later, uh, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brethren. Now, even though all of the sons of Jacob were considered brothers to Dina, you got to remember that Jacob had Leah for his first wife, even though he initially wanted Rachel, Laban deceived him and gave him Leah instead. So he had children through Leah, and then he had children through Leah's handmaid when she couldn't bear anymore, and then he had children through Rachel's handmaid when she couldn't bear, and then he had children through Rachel. So he had sons through four different women. So even though they're all considered brethren, and even though Dean is considered all of their sister, you got to remember that she was only blood kin to a few of these brothers. 
and they were the firstborn. So I believe they were Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and I want to say Judah. For certain, we know that Simeon and Levi, as I'm preaching this to you, for sure they were her blood brothers. They were born of the same mother. They were also born of Leah. So that's why they were the most angry. That's why they are going to take the most severe course of action against the man who raped their sister. But here's where they go wrong. I mean, it would have been wrong irregardless for them to murder anyone, even if, you know, they had raped their sister. What you're going to find is they're going to go over and above that. They're not just going to punish him, the criminal, the rapist. They're going to punish every single man in that city. They're going to kill every man in that city, and that is above and beyond wrong. It would be wrong just to kill Shechem, but they're going to go and kill everybody. That's something men of God should not do, and I'm going to explain why before we close this chapter, why they are going to be punished for it in the future. All right, so Simeon and Levi, Dina's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. So again, they didn't just slay Shechem, they slew every single male in the city. And they slew Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep and their oxen and their asses and that which was in the city and that which was in the field and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. And friends, this is why the Lord says in his word, leave vengeance to me. I am the Lord, the vengeful Lord, leave vengeance to me. He is the one who makes wrongs right. He is the one who brings justice where there is injustice. Whenever we try and take it into our own hands, not only are we wrong for doing so, because God says all throughout his word, do not murder, unless it's in self-defense, it's murder. What these men did here was murder, not just of one man, but of a whole city of men. Still, at the end of the day, you shall do no murder, leave vengeance to the Lord, because otherwise if you take vengeance upon yourself and you try to bring about justice yourself, you're going to be doing wrong in God's sight. There's just no way around it. I mean, again, there are instances of self-defense or if one of your loved ones is in danger and you have to protect them, that's one thing. But their sister was already raped. She wasn't in the process of being raped. She already was raped. And still, after the fact, instead of slaying the man the first time they saw him, because of anger of her being raped, they deceitfully played a game in order to not only slay him, but slay all the men of his city. And out of that, they got a lot of gain. They got the cattle, they got the women, they got the land, whatever they wanted. They got, because of what they had done, this great sin they had committed. And Jacob is not going to be happy about it. 
So we go to verse 30. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I, being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. So now Jacob is mad at them because, again, his family is not a very big family compared to all the foreigners around him in the land. I mean, he is the only family that serves Yahweh, the God of our Holy Bible at this time in the land. Not a very big family. All of the other people around him are godless, abominable people who worship many false gods and do many godless things. Like rape was not a rare occurrence at that time in those lands. Canaanite men raped women. Egyptian men raped women. Um, Sodomites, Gomorrahites, they raped. That's just what those people did back then because they didn't worship the holy God that Jacob did. So now he is not only ticked off at his kids, but he's afraid because now he thinks their actions are going to have repercussions. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with a harlot? And obviously the word harlot would mean prostitute. So they were saying that this guy Shechem had treated her like a prostitute. And at the end of the day, no woman, no woman um, that is raped um, is responsible. And that's not what I'm trying to say, but... Basically, Dina at that time, she was acting like a harlot. She was dressing like a harlot because she was hanging with the women of the Canaanite land. That's how they dressed. That's how they acted. They looked like harlots. Now, should men be allowed to rape prostitutes and harlots? Absolutely not. But at the end of the day, I say it today, if you, uh, again, you Christian parents, if you're going to let your daughter out there, leaving nothing to the imagination and letting half her body hang out, when she goes out on the streets, don't be surprised if someday some young guy doesn't take no for an answer because she is basically putting her goods on display. Saying, here, you know, have this. You like what you see? Have it. That's why God in the Holy Bible talks about modesty. He talks about women clothing their body um, except for when you know, they're married and obviously get naked with your husband, have fun all day long. But when you're not married and when you're a young woman, especially, you want to be modest. You want to keep especially the most private areas of your body covered. And again, I'm telling you, friends, I have so many Christian women on Instagram that follow me, even young women. And when you go to their profiles and you look at their pictures, it's a shame because you know darn well their parents don't know what they're posting on these Instagrams or on these Snapchats or on these, um, you know, Twitter or Facebook or whatnot. Because if it was my daughter, I'd take her right off all those social media sites. I don't care how old she was. If she was 18, I'd say, sorry, you may be a young adult, but you're done with all this as long as you're under my roof. Because no joke, you can't tell the Christian women today from the women of the world just like you couldn't tell Dina from the women of Canaan. At the end of the day, to any young women listening to this, just like us men, you have to ask yourself the question, am I going to live for the world, for Satan basically, because he is the ruler of this world, 
or are you going to live for God? You have to make that decision. You can't be on the fence. You can't be half in and half out with God. Because I love it. My friends, the Benham Brothers, say it best. When you sit on the fence in the middle, sooner or later you're going to rip the seat of your pants. You can't do it. You have to be on one side of the fence or the other. And I, for one, am always going to do my best to be on the side of God. And we're going to find that someone is going to learn that lesson and they're not going to be punished by God as much as they should for this great abomination that Simeon and Levi had committed in this chapter. What I mean by that is God is going to punish Simeon and Levi in the future for this act. And he's going to make clear that it was because of this act. When it comes time to bless his children at the end of the book of Genesis, Jacob gets to Simeon and Levi, and he basically says, because of what you did in the city of Shechem, because you two had murdered, you will be divided in the land of Israel, and you will be scattered in the land now we find that going forward in the life of the children of Israel, that in Deuteronomy, I want to say chapter 33, when Moses proclaims blessings upon the sons of Jacob's tribes, he purposely omits Simeon. And I believe it was because of this act we just read about here in Genesis 34. Now, he does mention Levi, and the reason for that is because God's great grace and mercy, as I said, when Levi made the decision, even after committing this grave sin in Genesis 34, his descendants make the decision to do right by God. They choose the side of God. And that's because Moses said, All you who stand with the Lord... Come stand with me. All you who will fight for the Lord, come stand with me. And the Levites were the very first ones to stand with Moses. They were the very first ones to slay the idolaters. Now, the Levites would be rewarded for that by becoming the priests of Israel. So a lot of people today are confused, thinking that priests are just these, you know, I mean, yes, we're supposed to be peaceful, but people think that priests are just these quiet, reserved, and, um, you know, couldn't hurt a fly. But actually, in God's eyes, the priests, the holiest of men that served him, I mean, all throughout the Holy Bible, you can look at it, they were warriors. When it came time to stand up for God, they were zealous. They fought for God. They didn't mess around. So... When we see Satan coming against our brothers and sisters and coming against our morals and our values and our beliefs, and when we see our hostile and rabid and vile and depraved, God-hating enemies rising up against us in this nation, in this world, 
we are not to cower and say, oh, you know, just turn the other cheek. Just, you know, just go about your business and, and let them be. No, we need to stand on the word of God. We need to boldly proclaim it. We cannot be afraid of these people because God's men in the Old Testament were not afraid. They didn't cower. They didn't stand back. They stood up. That's what we need to do. When it comes time where enemies rise up against us, now am I saying, you know, physically fight them? I'm not saying that. But I'm saying men of God cannot be mamby, pamby, wussy Christians. That's not who God has called us to be. He's called us to be warriors. So we need to stand up and not stand back when we see the word of God being threatened and being banned or being mocked or being blasphemed. We need to stand up and speak out for God, not stand back. And because of that, we will be rewarded. We'll receive grace and mercy where we need it, just as Levi did. Whereas Simeon, he was punished. His tribe eventually, I believe, mingled in with the tribe of Judah, and the Simeonites were basically um, not even a tribe after a while in the land of Israel. You couldn't even find anyone claiming to be the tribe of Simeon because they just said, oh, we're the tribe of Judah now. Because God said he would divide them, he would scatter them. That's exactly what happened. And it was all because of going against God's word and his law and his commands in this chapter by murdering in mass an entire city of men over one act and over the actions of one man. They could have seized that man. They could have tied him up and kept him captive. But instead, they killed him, they killed his dad, and they killed every single man of the city. There's no defense for it. And that's why, like I said, God never lets any wicked deed unrepented of go unpunished. And again, we've seen it with King David, we saw it with Solomon, and we saw it with Jacob, and now we're seeing it with these guys, and we'll see it again many times in the future with men of God. Just because we know God, just because we hear God, just because God loves us and we're beloved after his own heart, still that doesn't give us the right to do what we tell others not to do. Well, that'll do it. Next time, we're going to read about an encounter that Jacob is going to have with the Lord, in which the Lord is going to repeat unto Jacob, Israel, the promises and the covenant that he made with Abraham and with Isaac. So it's a very important chapter. Hope you all are going to enjoy it. So tune in for it next time. And until then, as always, my friends, God bless y'all.